everyone, this is Flippin' Finance. I'm Samus Moore, and I'm joined by my co-host, Fabian. Hello, hello. Today is April 12th, 2023, and we're covering questions asked your financial advisor. But before that, kick this your music. As always, none of this is investment advice and does not constitute an offer to buy or sell securities, nor do any of my opinions reflect those of my polite financial advisors or any of its affiliates. This is for educational purposes only. And things change, so we have no duty to go back and revise any of this information. But with that, Fabian, how are you? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, it's the eve of my vacation, so I can't. I'm so excited. It's like, you know, at a certain point, your brain kind of just switches over to vacation mode and you're doing things on autopilot. I'm not doing that for this podcast. Sure, For all you sure. listeners, out, all you listeners out there, I am 100% committed. And this is actually... So I'm doing good. I'm going to answer your question. I'm doing really good. Really excited. I have a lot of energy. As you can tell, I'm talking fast and I'm talking loud. But I'm excited for today because I, I'm on this newsletter, Indie Today. You can go sign up for it, but you just kind of get a daily newsletter um, with just like stuff that's going on in, in Indie. But this one stuck out to me because of what we do with this podcast. So the, the, the title of the email was Seven Mistakes to Avoid When Hiring a Financial Advisor. It's like, huh. I know a financial advisor. I co-host a podcast with somebody who's in finance. Uh, So Sam, that begs the question, what should people be asking when they want to work with a financial advisor? And more importantly, why should they be asking these questions? Yeah, those are, we're going to run through a a list of my favorite questions that whenever a friend is interviewing an advisor that I send to them. But I think the context around why you're asking is really important too, because it gives more color and context. I mean, that's the whole point of the show, adding context to financial items that people just throw out there. And that, that way you can judge the, the answers that you're getting so you can form your own opinion. Right, um, right. Yeah. Well, let's, let's start kind of at the top. How would you define your role? Yeah, and that is you asking me the advisor. It's almost like you're, you're interviewing me. So this is like a really important one because there's tons of different advisors out there. And there's a lot of people that just have the title financial advisor when really they're a salesperson or they are an investment manager or they have a different role. So my view of what a financial advisor should be is somebody who goes along and does financial planning. So something more than just investments and more than just selling products. So depending on who you want to be helping you with your money, if you want a money manager, you want them to be answering that question in a very specific way. Like my role is to be assisting clients with their strictly their investments. And this is how we view success for a client. Or if you want somebody who is just helping you with a whole life policy, you want them to be, I specialize in XYZ insurance. In my humble view, I'm a, I'm called a financial advisor, but I am, really a financial plan. So I help people with all aspects of their financial life. So the answer to that question is, is really important. It's like, what is your role in my financial picture? And you know what? If they say my job is to help you pick the best mutual funds, 
and you want a financial planner, that might not be a good fix. And it's okay to, to just go ahead and say that to the person. Like, I don't think you're a good fit. Right. I'm looking for this type thing. And is it common to work with somebody? And I know this is going to change based on needs, but is it common to work with somebody that kind of does everything or kind of does a lot of different things? Or do people pick more like siloed specific, like, I just need someone that's going to like, what, what did you call it? Like a money manager or something like that, right? Yeah. Versus someone who's going to help you plan financially. And that encompasses several different areas, right? Including probably money management. Yeah. So th- that's a fantastic question. It really depends what you want. I have purposely made the decision professionally to be where I am because I think it's the most impactful for clients. If you want to try and get the best investments possible, it's an incredibly hard thing to do and you're going to pay a lot of money for it. You can't really control the outcome in a lot of situations. So I think most people's initially end up working with like a traditional stockbroker or money manager because that's what you see marketing. You see the the big bull or you see like Morgan Stanley or other firms like that. They have huge marketing budgets and what they do really well or claim to do really well is they do investments. It's better than everyone else. And, you know, we've got slick things that looks great. So that's how you end up originally talking to like a traditional money manager who just invests the money. And I argue... And have made decisions that that is not the best use of your time and money trying to beat the market where you should focus on something more holistically. And it's becoming a lot more in vogue because of the next question you're going to ask. Right. And and I think, um, and we'll get there, but I think kind of similar to how last week you kind of flipped it on me and I was giving you the inside scoop as a former yeah. recovering car salesman. Still recovering. You know, yes. Still recovering. Cause I, I do like to play the game. Yeah. Um, I think it's important here that I can ask follow-up questions, but I think it's going to be important for the audience to hear you give them the recommendations on what questions that they should be asking. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So what, what, what should be the next question? You've defined your role. I kind of know what you do now and I'm figuring out, you know, if that's going to work for my style of what I want, what, what should be the next question that, that people are asking? Yeah. So I think, after clarifying their role and that makes sense for you, the next thing you want to make sure. So the, the biggest problem in car sales is what you call the agency problem. The person you're sitting across the table from knows more about cars, knows more about the margins than you do. It's the classic agency problem. It's very similar in financial management. There's an agency problem. Uh, I would like to think that I'm tall and, you know, got great hair, but also an expert in a majority of the financial issues people go through every day. So I, I tend to know more than the person sitting in front of, across the table for me. But the big thing you want to be asking and figuring out after the roles make sense is are those incentives aligned for you guys to have a good relationship together? Because incentives drive behavior is like my favorite thing to say. You can be the nicest person ever, but if like your compensation changes drastically based on the decisions you make on behalf of somebody because of the agency issue, then it doesn't matter how good a person or advisor you are. So the next logical one that you see a lot when you type in questions asked an advisor is, are you a fiduciary? And the reason why you're getting money managers and other people broadening their services is because of this word fiduciary. Pretty much it means you have to act in the best interest of somebody. And I used to work at a bank and we'd walk around like work fiduciary. And I had a small group of friends, we would call it, 
being a fiduciary. It's just because we thought it was huge. You just have all these people walking around in their, their suits, but we're fiduciary. We do what's best for the client. And then we'd ask for a couple follow-up questions and uh, we're not always doing what's in the best interest of the client. I give you a plethora of examples that I don't want to do because I don't want to be sued. So maybe when, you, do, but <laughs> when, you, when you claim to be a fiduciary and you're acting in the best interest of the, of the client, like how is that being enforced? Like, do you put your hand on a book and swear an oath to like solemnly swear to look at the best interest of your clients or like, how are people being held accountable to that? Exactly. Exactly. It's like this incredibly gray thing where it's like, I'm a fiduciary. I do what's, what's best for the client. And it's just like, well, you know, how's it's not to answer your question. And that's why it's like such a softball gray area where now everyone's kind of claiming to be a fiduciary when really, if you look at their actions, it's not always like a hundred percent true. So like the easiest way to look at that is you should be working on fiduciary. That's just like a step one. But then it's like, how are they being compensated is the next question. So it's like, great. You claim to be a fiduciary. So does my mom. But, um, when we start working together, how's your compensation matter? Because there is a plethora of ways that, that, that works. And my recommendation when you're talking to somebody is you want to work with somebody who's fee only, meaning you are directly paying them for their services and they are not getting any other compensation on the back end. And this is where things get really, really gray, really fast from a financial management standpoint is there is also, so as mentioned, fee only. There's also fee based, which means they can be compensated by you directly, but also they can be compensated by commissions on the back end of things that you end up buying and selling for. A great example is something called an A share. So there is a company, uh, might start with an Ed, it might end in the Joneses. They, I believe, claim to be in some aspects a fiduciary, but they will sell you a A share mutual fund. Now, why is that important? There are different classes of mutual funds. This gets like, like people's eyes start glazing over. But if you buy an A-share, a you're paying 5% upfront for the privilege to buy usually an American fund. So you put, you put $100 in, you actually start at 95 because that A-share gives $5 to the advisor. So that is why I'm passionate about how is somebody being compensated. You really need to understand that because it will once again impact people's decisions on your behalf. Now, you could argue issues are totally fine. And I've seen people do it. I don't have a, I have a strong opinion that you shouldn't do it. You should try and find the lowest cost investment vehicle for your clients. But other companies uh, disagree. Um, another example is within funds and mutual funds, there is 12B1 fees. These are effectively uh, marketing fees that your client is being charged for the benefit of advisors and that mutual fund. So 12B1 fee is just, um, it's like 0.5%, sometimes 0.25% of a mutual fund expense. And that that's going to the marketing of the, of the fund. How does that benefit the client? It doesn't. Um, before we get too much further along, one comment and one question. So sure. the comment fee based and fee only are very similar. 
but very, be very confusing. Why don't exactly. they have totally different names? Exactly. Cause it, it just, it's not the whole, that's like one of my bugaboo soapbox things with, uh, financial vices. Like there's all these terms that are matter and, but the fee based fee only sounds like the same thing. You know, like, right. That's it. Like it wasn't matter to me, but really it's a huge difference in how somebody acts on your behalf and uh, structures things. Now at and the same time, maybe it doesn't, you know? Right. So, and, so. and question here, let's say somebody's already working with an advisor. How can somebody tell if they have purchased a shares or a fund with 12 B one fees? Yeah. Uh, you take the ticker. So mutual funds have a five letter ticker. It always ends in X. I don't know why it ends in X, but you put that in to Morningstar and you can see if it's an A share and you can see if there's 12 B one fees and this might sound silly, but I literally Morningstar is the best place for mutual fund research. And I, I do the same thing. I'm like, this looks like an A share. Let me check. And then I would just go to the advisor, like, Hey, why am I using a share when there's a uh, institutional class share that uh, is 80% less expensive to me? Interesting. And then are they, I mean, obviously you can tell them what to do because it's your money that they're investing, but is yeah. there, is there a drawback to then having them change out of the A fee to something that, that doesn't have that, that higher cost? Yeah. Sometimes a lot of them are, sometimes there'll be lockups in them for whatever reason. The other big things is taxes. If you've held this for like five or 10 years at that point, the A share cost doesn't really matter because you paid it up front. But the big thing is usually taxes. But like, I don't, I don't understand why somebody would go recommend that to their client when they go buy the S&P 500 for right. 0.03%. You know, wh- why would you recommend that? It just calls into question the advisor you're working with when there's you know, a 95% cheaper option for your client. Right. Yeah. And if you're thinking about it this way, if you're, if you're investing a hundred thousand dollars, uh, you just paid $5,000 to that advisor to buy a fund that arguably most likely won't do better than the CP 500. Oof. So it's $5,000. So hopefully the eyes that have glazed over like, Oh, I'm in. What? <laughs> I'll put a little alarm bell right there yeah. so people can pay attention. Good. Good. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, what, what, what else, what, what else should people be asking? I think a, a great one is looking at credentials. So CFP is a great one, certified financial planner. That is honestly, it's not that high of a bar for somebody to pass. It's not an incredibly hard uh, exam. It's a good level setting for someone to be offering financial advice. I would, anyone you work with, like I would just ask, why don't you have the CFP? Type, Shots type fired, things. I'd say. I'm just, yeah, I mean, it's just like, uh, you know, unless you're over 60 and you've been doing this for 30 years, like, why, why don't you have the CFP um, type of thing? Yeah, I'm, just, I'm serious. It's like, it's not that hard to get. Um, the one that's hard to get is the CFA that is Chartered Financial Analyst. And now, like, you don't really need this for somebody who's like a financial advisor who's broad. Uh, the CFA is arguably a Ivy League uh, degree in finance. Is, is what it is. So it's a three-year program. You have to pass three tests. The pass rate for each of those tests is roughly 30%, maybe 40% some years. It's graded on a curve. So like CFP is not curved. Like if you're smart enough and you pass, you're good. CFA, they they curve it. So it's um, a lot more competitive. Now that is like, that person can 
sit down and dissect a company and and do a lot of like financial minutia that is really important. But like end of the day, you don't need that person like helping you with your your financial plan um, type thing. It's cool to have. You're like, oh, that person's a nerd um, type thing. And then there's um there's a CPA, a certified uh, public accountant. I think I got that right. CPA, um, great for taxes. The and what I really like is an advisor who was a CPA and is now practicing as a financial planner because that person's going to be really great on taxes. Fantastic um, type of thing. So, and then there's, there's a lot of master's degrees now that are getting really specialized um, in wealth management. So I would look for somebody that has a grad degree. Uh, you can get a lot of those. So I would just like, do you have a CFP? Do you have CFA? Do you have CPA? And then if not, do you have at least a, I wouldn't say MBA. MBA is very broad. You want somebody specialized in wealth management. Yeah. And you think that some of these are just like kind of like table stakes. Like if you're going to work with somebody, trust them with your money, kind of bare minimum I, CFP. I CFP is probably table stakes. Yeah. Um, for someone you want to be working with. Um, CFA is like a little uh, icing on top. And a CPA is great if you have a complex tax situation as well. But also uh, an advisor who is cognizant of taxes and can communicate well with the CPA is just as good as having a CPA advisor. Usually. Got it. What else? What else should people be asking that people want to know? I think the big thing is obviously the investments are going to be the the engine for your growth. Um, so you want to spend some time understanding their strategy. Um, that's, that's like the big one. And I have a personal professional preference to it. Um, where I think you should not be making a ton of changes to your investment account. You should uh, have, it sounds boring. It, it's, it's harder to do in practice than it is in theory. In theory, you want to say your asset allocation, which is your split between stocks and bonds. And you want to drive off the, on that and make tweaks once or twice a year and let those initial investments grow. Now, I believe in, a majority of your investments being in uh, passive investments. S&P 500 is a really good one. Um, but there's there's some areas in the market where active management make a lot more sense than in the U.S. So that's kind of my flavor for things. But if someone's talking in about beating benchmarks, beating the S&P 500, making your money work harder for you, and we, we charge a premium for this, and look how great our last performance was, those start to be like kind of red flags for me because outperforming the market is an incredibly hard thing to do. And I just don't think it's, it, it's not a repeatable controllable thing in your financial plan, quite frankly. So understanding that, but also understanding the underlying costs in your investments. I talked about passive. They're the lowest cost out there. Uh, well, that's why they tend to do the best and they're lowest cost uh, in, in that area. And then if you're going to use an active manager, tell them, ask why type of thing uh, of why you should pay a premium uh, for that type of exposure. Does that make sense? I think so. Okay. Uh, the one other thing that there's a lot of, I could write a whole post on this, but asset allocation, the split between stocks and bonds we just talked about is going to be the biggest decision you make from a financial and investment performance standpoint. So, understanding how they make that decision for you 
That's fantastic. If they just send you like a robo-advisor risk tolerance survey, that's probably not the best in my opinion, because I feel like my professional opinion is you have someone's risk tolerance, which is up here, which is kind of like you're feeling um, like Silicon Valley Bank, you know, hitting the headlines. Are you worried? Do you want to make changes off that? Well, I remember we talked three weeks ago, the market was up during all that. It was just regional banks were getting hit. Um, so it's your risk tolerance, your emotional side, then there's your risk capacity, um, which is your financial situation to take risk. Can you afford to lose 25% this year? And will you be fine? So you marry both of those together. So you get the art and the science of an asset allocation. I feel like that's much more impactful and better for, because people don't want something off the shelf. They're like, oh yeah, I'll just reach back here. Oh, here you go. You want something customizable to your situation. And that's how you do it. Instead of just being like, oh, do the survey. And well, like it told me to, you know, do this. That's what we're going to do. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think about myself in certain situations and just hearing the words asset allocation, I kind of, I know those two words independent of each other and what they mean. But when you smash them together, there's kind of like this mystery to them, this little bit unknown of just like, okay, what, what exactly does that mean? So is it like, do you advise people to just ask for further explanation upon every single question that you're asking if you're uncomfortable, just so that like, I've been in instances where I'm just kind of like nodding my head just so that I don't feel like the other person thinks I'm not smart. Right. But huh. this also isn't like, you know, it's a conversation I have with my fiance. The, I'm just, agency I'm just nodding. <laughs> I'm just nodding right. to my fiance, just understanding. Yeah. 100%. Um, but it's just, you've studied this and obviously we don't. And, you know, we, we seek out advisors for advice, right. And, and to be the experts in this field. So, I mean, when you work with people that are kind of green, are they asking these sort of like follow-up questions? I think if you, there's a difference. If you want to understand and you don't always ask more questions. I start every meeting off of, if you're leaving here uncertain about what just happened, then I didn't do a good job uh, in this meeting. I want to make sure you understand how and why we're doing things. And maybe you don't really care about the standard deviation of uh, an 80% stock, 20% bond portfolio with some por- private investments mixed in there. You don't need to care about that, but you should care about, well, we are doing 80% in stocks because we're trying to grow. You have 20 years to retire. That's important. And if you don't understand those part, keep asking questions because you not you should not feel uncertain or right. dumb for asking questions. I encourage you to keep asking them until you feel good about it. But the big thing, and one of the questions at the end of the day, um, we're going to go into like my red flags a little bit later, but just vibes. If you trust the person and you, you like it and you're okay with like, well, not a hundred percent sure, like what the hell standard deviation means. That's totally fine. But you, the biggest thing is like trusting that person across the table from you. Right. I think one other thing is just like, what other services do you provide? Uh, I would encourage you to work with somebody that does more than just investment management. Um, you can go do that pretty easily on yourself. In fact, you can go to chat GPT and ask it to build you a, a portfolio and you can go invest based on that portfolio. I wouldn't go do it strictly on chat GPT, but um, you know, it was, pretty close to some of the investment models I've seen and worked with on Pat in my past. So, you know, if chat, chat GPT, get somebody that can do something a little bit more than chat GPT type thing would be my recommendation. Um, and then feel free to always ask for references. Um, 
you know, if, if, if an advisor has happy clients, they're usually happy to talk to someone else about that uh, experience. Kind of a weird, I, that's kind of a weird one, I would think. I wouldn't think to ask that. I, it's happened to me a bunch. Probably, probably five times since I've been, been here at my new gig. So it's not, it's not uncommon. You're not breaking any HIPAA laws by giving people contact information? I keep asking Austin about these damn HIPAA laws, and I don't really understand it. <laughs> I don't know why we got to get animals involved. <laughs> but no, there are no HIPAA issues with uh, financial management references. <laughs> All right. Um, just asking. Yeah. I think, uh, uh, go ahead. Yeah. Talk, I, well, I, you, my ears perked up when you said red flag. So I want to know the, the stuff to like completely avoid. Like if somebody says this thing, just like go running for the hills. What, what are the things yeah. that if you hear just like walk in the other direction? I, I think the big one is if in the first two meetings, someone's talking about a product and not really a service, because what happens when you buy a product is you end up not getting the financial planning services that you probably were hoping for. So if someone is pushing a product or an annuity, or yeah, if someone says an annuity and it doesn't, you're like, why am I buying an annuity? I would just thank them for their time and leave. Uh, <laughs> but just pushing a product. It's, Can you give me, what, what would that sound like if someone was trying to push a product? Like what would they be saying? I've got this great solution for you, Fabian, and it's going to cap your downside risk and it's going to get you this smooth five, five to 6% return. Uh, you seem to lock up your money a little bit. And, you know, I've done all this planning and this product is what you need. Hmm. It's usually insurance. It's, it's it. a big, it's a big thing there. That's what a annuity product is. So that's my big red flag because that person might call themselves an advisor, but they're really a salesman. Uh, and that kind of goes into the next red flag. If someone's compensation is changing based on what they recommend you, that's just, this is not a good setup. In my opinion, um, you can there are other ways to work with people where it, if I get paid $5,000 more, if you do uh, XYZ instead of ABC, what do you think I'm going to recommend? Right. If it still is like within, because that goes into not being fiduciary. That's a suitable solution for you. Totally different. Do a whole other podcast on the suitability standard. Very different fiduciary. And that's where being a fiduciary is important. Or like you wouldn't do that. Hopefully. Okay. Good to know. Um, the other ones, if someone's talking about beating the market, I would kind of ask a lot of hard questions about that. Like you spend all your time beating the market and you're losing to it. <laughs> Why should we pay you to do that? You know, like I can go by the Vanguard S and P 500 and chat GPT can give me the rest. Like, why would I pay you 1% for that? Um, that's a big one. If that, you know, we're the best money manager around our returns are great. Yeah. I'd be like, why are you still here? Yeah. I'd be like, yeah, yeah. Um, there's also like a little trick it's called Benra broker check. So a vast majority of people will, uh, be on there. So you can, you can go look me up, uh, on there. Um, if they have more than two or three disputes on their, on their record, uh, things happen. One, one could happen. Um, that's just like an unhappy person. But two or three is kind of a trend. So whenever like a client sues you or you get into arbitration, um, it'll show up on your bin broker check. And if you have uh, a bunch on there, it, that is just like not good. Uh, 
you just go. Yeah, just go Fender Broker check anytime you're working with somebody. And not 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 everyone's on there. So like it's not um not always not hundred percent of financial people are on there because there's different regulations of who needs to be registered, but that's a great way to check it out. Um and the last one, the most important one is just vibes. Like, do you trust this person? Um, do you think they're competent enough to help you? Like CFP is gonna be a good, a good bar for that. But really, do you like this person? You're I, I hate the sales pitch. Like you're, you're going to be sharing your, your most intimate details with me. And I'm so important. You're going to share your secrets. Um, sales pitch that I've heard other people give. I haven't worked with those people, but I've heard of that sales pitch. And really that's, I mean, that's stupid, but you need to trust this person because, you know, your financial life is going to be going you know, up and down. Hopefully it's more up and to the right, but there's, there's going to be challenges and you're going to have to make sometimes some hard decisions and you want somebody who you like and is in your corner and has your best interest. Vibes. I like it. Yeah. Just vibes. Vibes aren't there. Run away. Yeah. So with our time remaining, I feel like I've rambled. What are your burning questions today? Is that enough? That, that was a lot, but I like it because it's one of these things where it's just like, Again, putting myself in the example seat here, I just sometimes get, a, insecurity might be too strong of a word, but you almost don't want to ask some of these questions that you should be asking because you don't want to come off like you don't know something, right? So being armed with these questions, knowing what type of responses to expect, knowing why you're asking these questions, I think is very important for anybody that maybe has the same feelings that I've felt in the past. 100%. Yeah. So... Cool, cool. With that, we can we can wrap up. Inflation report just came out, and we're going about that. Ooh, we'll have to we'll have to save that for for a fully. That'll be a fully. Oh yeah, we can't we can't spend thirty seconds on that. But I like the tease. Super core coming up yeah. next week. Uh, with that, uh, feel free to share, uh, and rate the podcast, and subscribe. And we're always open to questions. We've done a couple listener questions. So let us know. Bye.